Welcome to Shark Week, the podcast. I'm Luke Tipple, marine biologist and a frequent voice on my favorite things, oceans and sharks. I'm stoked to bring the magic of Shark Week right to your ears. Sharks have been a big part of my life for over 20 years now, studying them and diving with them all around the world. I guess that's given me some of the street cred to participate in many Shark Week documentaries throughout the years and now to be your host. So whether you've never seen Shark Week before or you've been a diehard fan over the 30 plus years it's been around, this podcast is for you. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite and also most hated topics, but it's the one that everyone wants to hear about. Shark attacks. Sharks are scary. I get it. Sharks can bite you. They can eat your flesh. They can kill you. I get it. So we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to talk about how we protect sharks as well. Let's get into it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, okay, Luke, you know, shark expert, talking about sharks and stuff. You know, you you don't really know what it's like to be scared by a shark. Well, I tell you what, I absolutely do. And do I have a story for you? So I was working on a boat on the Yongala shipwreck, which is supposedly the number two shipwreck to dive in the world. It's absolutely fantastic. During my college years, when I was at James Cook University, I was fortunate enough to do all of my diving. So I'd do four or five days a week at uni, and then on the weekends, I'd go and dive. Now, my job, especially when I was starting as kind of you know a rookie dive master on their boat, my job was to tie off to the wreck. And this is in the middle of the shipping lane. It's the middle of nowhere, and it's about 100 feet deep down to the bottom of the wreck. And we had to tie off to it at about 60 feet down. So the procedure was to motor over the top of the shipwreck. I'd be standing on the back deck with a float, a rope attached to the boat, my mask on, my regulator in, I'm ready to dive. The captain would yell, dive, dive, dive. And I'd jump straight off the boat and start swimming immediately down, which is... One of my favorite things to do, honestly, just jumping in, going from completely air environment, normal land, and having that sort of whole trepidation about what I'm going to jump into, and then being in the water, breathing underwater, and swimming straight down and just being plunged. For me, it kind of feels like being at home, but it does feel like you're in this alien environment. And I'm swimming down almost at the wreck. There's a massive current. I'm pulling super hard on the rope, on the tank that I'm carrying, on everything that was needed to prep for this tourist dive. And then I notice a great big chunk of what looked like giant trevally floating past me. Now, a giant trevally is a great big silver fish that can weigh 60, 70 pounds easily. And there was half of it floating past me, bleeding and very recently, very obviously, having been sliced in half by a very large animal. And I looked at that and went, okay, I'm in something right here, but I know that my boss is up top waiting for me to tie off so he can get divers in the water. So I keep going. And I start looking around. There's three bull sharks that have just killed this trevally. They're fighting over it and they're coming straight towards me. I'm literally fending these things off by smacking it in the head with a dive tank that I'm holding, the decompression dive tank, which is a safety spare that I take down for the other divers. I was completely in the middle of a feeding frenzy. I was covered in blood. There's scales everywhere. There's pieces of fish floating around. And 
I would actually love to be in that situation right now, but I remember back then thinking I should not be here. And I beelined it for the shipwreck and they literally followed me to the shipwreck. I had to get down kind of in the shipwreck a little bit and literally fend them off with a tank. Now, that's a moment that I try to reproduce constantly now as I'm researching sharks, looking at their behavior, trying to figure out, you know, what is stimulating them, sometimes trying to figure out what will repel them as well. We put ourselves in that situation. But when I first did that, it scared the heck out of me. So for everyone who watches people on TV interacting with sharks, understand that there's been years of experience and respect and knowledge of these animals gone into being able to go and work with them in the water. And that's something that I hope that throughout our shows and everything we really convey to people. It is safe to be in the water with sharks, but you have to damn well know what you're doing. Shark attacks are brutal. I've seen them. They're absolutely horrific. I've watched a great white shark attack everything from bait to a 600-pound elephant seal. Now, the bait, you know, it tries to grab the fish and does a few little tricks for us, and we might get some scientific data from it, and that's cool. But when you see a great white shark swimming with intent, wanting to kill something and eat it. It is just a force of nature. It is something that you want to see again and again and again, and you also hope never to ever see again. Now, the most carnage-ridden attack that I've ever seen was a great white destroying an elephant seal. I didn't get to see what happened below the water, but what I did see was an elephant seal swimming along the surface, and then an explosion on the surface as a shark busted through with part of an elephant seal in its mouth. There was nothing but blood, nothing but blood, just everywhere. It looked like a geyser or an underwater volcano had erupted around this little event. And it was, it's hard to find the words, to be really honest. It was just horrific. This shark took this really really large elephant seal, an elephant seal that was as big as four people. It took it and decimated it in just a few seconds, and then it proceeded to take chunks out of it and just devour it piece by piece. Now that, my friends, is a shark attack. That's what they're built for. That's what evolution has put them on this planet for, to keep the numbers of certain animals down, to keep the oceans healthy. We've got that clear, right? That is a shark attack. It's what it's supposed to do, and as terrifying as it is, it's also a beautiful part of nature. What a shark attack isn't is a shark biting a tourist on the leg as they're walking out into the middle of a bait school. Or people walking out into a bait school, which if you don't know, you know, that's a whole bunch of fish that come together. I'm going to talk about that in a little moment. I know we call them shark attacks. It's part of our vernacular, and I say it all the time. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. But I want to challenge you in this podcast to rethink how you're thinking about sharks. Because an attack speaks to intent. It speaks to something that is premeditated. It speaks to an intelligent animal who has calculated all the risks of what it's going after and coming after it with such ferociousness that it's going to just destroy it. That is a shark attack. Now, what most people encounter is a negative shark interaction. And we can abbreviate that into a non-PC term. Let's just call them shark bites. What most people get is a shark bite. And then a shark that gets discouraged because you don't taste very good and they take off. What we're left with, of course, is often pretty grievous injuries. 
you're bleeding, you might have lost a piece of flesh, you might have lost a leg, you may have lost your life and your family may have lost your loved ones. I get it. That is horrific. It's tragic. But I do want to challenge you to rethink it because the more we talk about shark attacks, the more negative energy we put into this whole stigma about sharks and the harder it is for us as a community, as a global society, to protect these animals that desperately need our protection. So throughout this podcast, I'm going to be talking about shark bites. It's likely I'll say the word attack at some time. It's deeply ingrained in my you know, persona as well. We all say it because it's said so, so many times in the media. But I would like you to think about, at least think about when you're talking about a shark that has bitten somebody, think of the intent. Did that person get devoured whole? Okay, that's a shark attack. Did that person get bitten on the leg? That's a shark bite. Now, I've got friends who've been attacked. I've got friends who've had their arms taken off and their legs taken off. That's a legit attack, okay? But for most people, their interactions with sharks are a shark bite. So I'm going to get off that little pulpit, but I really want you to really think about what we're doing and saying and talking about sharks because if we have the intent to protect this animal, we need to protect them first with our mindsets. And then we apply it into real-world applications that may actually make a difference. And I'm here to tell you how to do that. So, as we've discussed, sharks can be found in every ocean-connected piece of water on the planet, and it's extremely likely that if you've ever been in one of those, you've been near a shark. You've had a shark interaction. If you've been swimming around in a river mouth in murky water, it's likely that you've encountered a shark. Now, it might have been a juvenile lemon shark. It might have been a 10-foot bull shark. You don't know. It probably knew that you were there, but it knows that you're not food. They're pretty smart animals. They do what they do. They're really good at it. So it's pretty likely that most of the time they're just testing you out to see if you're food and that's it, you know, if there is a shark bite. And this is one more thing that I'm going to introduce into this conversation, which is this concept that we have about mistaken identity because I, it's another term that I don't really agree with. I know why it makes sense in the whole scope of things where we want to convey that a shark made a mistake or that they thought that you're a seal or they thought that you're a fish. That does make sense in friendly media terms. But in reality, those sharks very likely knew that you're not on their normal menu, but they're just opportunistic. You know, they're smart, they're learning, they're evolving, they're developing, they're figuring out, hey, what's that? And the majority of the time, these quote-unquote mistaken identity bites have happened in water that is extremely turbid. Uh, it's maybe full of sand or full of silt or full of other stuff, like people wading out into a bait school in Florida where there's a bunch of activity going on and they see fish jumping and birds jumping and they're like, wow, this is nature. There's a shark in the middle of that, guys. But that shark that has such a rich evolutionary history, it knows that you are there. It knows that something is there. It knows that you don't feel or sound like a fish. But that fish is moving really fast. So can you really blame it if it's like, well, there's this thing that's not moving that much. I might see if that tastes good. But you know what? Sharks know what it feels like to bite into their prey, into the actual food that they're trying to get. In fact, a lot of sharks have quite advanced taste buds. They're embedded into their mouths rather than their tongues because they don't really have tongues. But they can sense your fat content and they very likely know that you're not good to eat. 
I'm sorry if that hurts anybody's feelings out there, but to a shark, you kind of suck. <laughs> you don't taste good. <laughs> what they want is a big, fatty seal or like a beautiful tuna with lovely, rich blood. They don't want sunscreen and hair and whatever else your legs might bring them. So you're definitely not on the menu. I, I would love if we lost the whole mistaken identity from our vernacular. I do understand why it's there, but I think that they're smarter than that. They're just trying you out for size and you, my friend, are in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's literally the truth. As we talk about negative shark interactions, we have to realize that, you know, there's over 500 species of sharks on the planet. There's only 13 of those that have been recorded as biting people 10 or more times. And three of those species, pretty sure you can guess which, great whites, tiger sharks, and bull sharks are responsible for well over two-thirds of all the attacks of any time with great whites topping those almost by 300% on top of the other sharks. Great whites are definitely the biggest culprit. And, you know, who's to blame them? They feed on big things. These other sharks, they don't really feed on big things. We are pretty big compared to other food groups in the ocean. So it's pretty realistic to understand why a great white, they know that we're not on the menu, but we look big. Now, the number of shark bites is really strongly correlated to the number of people and number of sharks in the water at the same time. I mean, that makes a heck of a lot of sense, right? So when we're talking about shark attacks increasing, they technically are at some times, it depends what type of you know, period of history you're looking at, but it's really more that we are utilizing the water a lot more and therefore having more negative interactions with these sharks. We've also got a lot of people using the water who have really no idea what they're getting into. You know, it's a foreign place. I've spent my entire life studying and living in and diving in the ocean, and I still don't know probably 5% of what there is to know about the ocean. It's a vastly alien place. You put us in the water, we can't move very well. We can't breathe. We can't see hardly at all. You know, we, we're floundering around in space trying to gasp a breath. We are useless in there. But give us a few tools and some knowledge and we can coexist and actually become a pretty formidable predator ourselves in there. A mask, fin, snorkel and spear and anybody can get out there and having respect for the ocean, learn a lot and be completely safe. You know, sharks, once they see what you are and you're in that same environment, there's, there can be a mutual respect there. And they're not trying to savage us and bite us all the time. They're really just in their environment. And if we choose to enter it, we have to take that risk ourselves. Now, if we look at the people who are getting bitten, they're people who have the best of intentions, but really don't know what they're doing. If we look at 60% of all the bites that are recorded. They're happening in very low visibility water. They're often very near the shore. They're people who are walking around. They are possibly surrounded by bait schools, you know, migrating fish that are coming past them. And they just don't know that they're in the middle of sharks and sharks that are feeding. 50% of people are surfers who get bitten. And that's because they're sharing the same kinds of waters that a lot of those sharks that like feeding in all that turbidity and all the action are using. 
And also we have to face that those people are exposed for much, much longer periods of time than your regular swimmer. So it's because we're cohabiting the same spaces, not because the sharks want to eat people. That's really it. Actually, if you really want to learn about, you know, shark attacks and see some of the cool statistics, the International Shark Attack File has a database of all the shark interactions with humans, and it's definitely worth checking out. Let's talk about 2021. They logged 73 unprovoked bites and 39 provoked bites. Now, a provoked bite will be one where somebody is feeding the shark or perhaps they're spearfishing and, you know, fending off sharks, something where they're very actively putting themselves in harm's way. Often, this is fishermen who are catching sharks and maybe trying to release it, but also getting bitten at the same time. It happens. You know, these sharks are slippery little suckers. <laughs> you know, they can spin around. They've got that cartilaginous skeleton. They can just spin on you without really even thinking about it. So that's around 100 bites a year, provoked or unprovoked. Now, out of that, there was only nine fatalities. And I honestly, I really hate to say only nine fatalities because any fatality is a tragedy. I'm not downplaying the person's plight, their family's plight. It's honestly, I think about it all the time when I'm in the water. My family thinks about it about me when I go in the water all the time. My mum, God bless her, has become quite okay with it. She's like, oh, cool sharks now. But I, I know it's in her mind. But I have to be a scientist and look at the data and admit that nine fatalities is not a lot compared to other activities that we humans voluntarily put ourselves into. And we can draw all sorts of parallels about, you know, buses and cars and all kinds of things. You know, lightning is a, another one that people love to compare it to. You know, getting struck by lightning should be a pretty rare thing, right? But it kills 27 people a year and injures over 200 just in the US every single year. But you know what? Just like lightning, we can reduce our chances of having that negative interaction with a predator. So just a few simple little rules here. Number one, don't feed sharks. You know, don't try to feed them and bring them into you unless you're prepared to have to handle them. Also, don't swim alone. Don't swim around river mouths, particularly at dawn and dusk. You know, this is these brackish, very turbid areas that are very productive. There's lots of fish going in and out of river mouths. And you get a lot of predators in there, like bull sharks, for example, or black tips, who love to feed on those fish that can't see. Now, remember, sharks have this electroreception. They have the ampullae of Lorenzini. These are little gel-filled sacs that are connected to the whole lateral line and sensory system of a shark. And they can use these to detect tiny, tiny little vibrations. They can feel the heartbeat of certain prey. They can feel the swimming motion of people splashing in the water. You know, they're basically this great big motion detector. They can detect things in the water. When a fish can't see them, they can feel the fish. So they go after them. You know, that's beautiful hunting grounds for a shark, particularly when it's getting dark. Another tip is not to swim around other fish, especially when it's like a bait run. So if you're visiting Florida, for example, particularly between September and December when the mullet run is happening and you go down to this beautiful sand beach and you're ready to go swimming and you say, oh, look, isn't that beautiful? Look at all those birds diving in the water. This is an amazingly productive place. And then you walk in and go swimming. You've just put yourself directly in the way of, of harm there's an extremely likely chance that there's sharks swimming around feeding on those exact same fish that you're marveling over. So if you see that turbidity, if you see birds diving, that's a telltale sign that that's a dangerous place to swim. So 
don't go do that. Now, if you do happen to see a shark, first of all, you're extremely lucky. If you've seen it, there's an excellent chance that the shark has seen you well before and it's deemed that you are either not a threat or perhaps not food or it just doesn't care about you because you're a splashing weird thing and it's going to go feed on its actual targets. But if you get to see it and you don't want to have that interaction, the best thing to do is calmly and quietly leave the water. Don't splash around, don't scream, don't do anything. You're going to attract attention. Remember, sharks are attracted to things that are in distress. So if it senses that you or people around you are in distress, it's just going to get it excited. It doesn't mean it's going to bite you, but it might get excited and check it out and then it might give that little test bite that ends up in so much grievous harm, unfortunately. Now, if leaving the water isn't an option, let's say you're out snorkeling on a reef and you see a shark and you're intimidated by it, you think that it is displaying intimidating behavior. And a a really telltale sign of that is if the shark is swimming fast. You know, we can talk about posturing and having its pectoral fins down, back arched and twitchy and stuff. But realistically, if the shark is swimming fast, it's using energy. Sharks only use energy when they're either scared or hunting. So if a shark is twitchy and swimming around fast, you're probably not in a great place to be. So if you can't get out of the water, keep your eyes on that shark and then do what we do when we're working with sharks. If we're feeling threatened or feeling it's an issue, swim straight towards the thing and look it in the eyes because what prey item does that? We don't get you know, animals walking around the African savanna walking up to a lion and saying, hi, how you doing? You know, they run away. The same in the water. If a, if a shark sees a victim fleeing, it thinks, well, it's being evasive. That's probably good food. If you swim straight towards it, and I credit that for you know how I believe that I wasn't bitten by a great white shark in Guadalupe. I've talked about it before, but I had a, a very large, probably 15-foot great white charging directly towards me, mouth open, coming up, full attack posture and everything, I believe firmly that if I was to swim towards the surface, I was about 10 feet down at the time, then I probably would have had a pretty negative interaction. And I hesitate to think what that would look or feel like. But I turned around, I swam towards it, looked it in the eyes. It gave it just enough pause that it passed about three feet, maybe two feet from me. I could feel the shockwave of the water as it went past, mouth open, eyes locked on mine. And then it swam around a couple of times, kind of a little cautiously, just checking me out, realized that, I saw it, they're ambush predators, it moved on to to easier things. Now, if you are in a situation where the shark is not going away, it's not scared off by you, perhaps you're in the middle of that feeding frenzy that I found myself in underwater or something, the best thing you have to do, this is where you have to go on the offense. This is where you have to beat that shark and tell it that you are not food. So, you know, taking anything really and using it as a weapon, whether that be a knife that you might have, whether it's a a pokey stick like we take, which is just a thin piece of metal, or even a a dive tank or a rock or anything really. Uh, A camera is a good one. Taking a camera, doing what all the Shark Week cameramen do is putting it straight in a shark's face. There's a reason cameramen very rarely get bitten (laughs) because their cameras are taking the bite. So doing anything to put it between you and the shark is a really good idea. And if you are about to get bit, well, Punching it in the nose is honestly a fantastic thing to do. They're they're so hypersensitive in that snout area that any type of knock or abrasion or blunt force on that region of their face 
will cause massive shock through their body. And you can see it when you smack them on the nose, they'll twitch, their entire body will twitch and muscle spasm. So you know you've hit something sensitive and it, it really doesn't hurt them, but it, it's shocking them. And that's what you want. You want to break that feeling of I'm the predator, you're the prey, I'm going to get you. And really that's about as intelligent as they probably get. You know, people talk about sharks having these personalities. Um, I've not found that to be my experience with sharks. Uh, you know, they're fish and it's easy to anthropomorphize animals and try to put human expectations and emotions on them. But I, while I think that they're intelligent, I know they're intelligent, I know they're calculating, I really don't think they have personalities. But what you do want to do is just to cause it injury, cause it harm to make it go away. And that goes doubly if you are in the unfortunate situation where a shark has its mouth wrapped around your leg. Look, we could talk about shark bites, attacks, interactions all day long. Uh, I feel like I spend a lot of my life talking about those because it's what people really are fascinated with. You know, we as humans are, are drawn to drama. We're drawn to trauma. And, and that's something with these animals that comes fairly infrequently, but very violently. So people want to talk about it. But what I really want to focus on is why we need sharks, why we as a society need to change the way we think about these animals so that we can help it, protect it. And even if you don't care about sharks, you know, I, Frank, I would love it if you love sharks. That'd be cool. But if you don't, that's fine, man. I, I don't mind if you don't love sharks. You can hate them all you like. Just don't do anything that causes their further extinction because it's not in your benefit. You'll be contributing to the problem in our oceans where overfishing things and not having sharks doing their job in keeping the ocean systems healthy. And that's just a bad thing for all of humans, really. So here are some of the reasons and some of the things we can do to help protect sharks and by proxy our oceans, which we should all be heavily invested in doing. Because shark populations have fallen by about 70% since 1970. And this, this is... Firm science, it's settled. The main cause is overfishing. And it's put about three quarters of the species of sharks at risk of extinction, which is just insanity. Populations of some species have been depleted by over 90% in offshore areas, particularly in the Pacific and Atlantic. And this is squarely due to great big longliners and sane fishers who are going out. They're being caught as bycatch. They're often not even being targeted. You know, the same things that fishermen will go out and wrap a big net around, you know, they'll see the same things, the, the birds diving and the, the sign of fish. They'll wrap these great big nets around and, well, the sharks are there feeding on that. They get caught as bycatch and often tossed back dead in the ocean. So we need to amp up our efforts in protecting the oceans and protecting sharks in order to give sharks the best possible chance of survival. Because if we give them a chance, they'll come back. We just kind of need to stop being such heavy oppressors on top of them. Now, I'll leave you with this because there is something globally we need to be doing a whole lot more of, and that's protecting sharks and their migratory paths and the oceans that they're inhabiting. So one tool that has been shown to be extremely effective is shark sanctuaries. These are areas where sharks are left alone. They're often zero-take or little-take areas where no fish are also being fished, and those sharks can grow, live, pup, and move on and help repopulate. And if nothing else sways you about, you know, the protection of the ocean and whatever else, perhaps the money will. 
So, for example, in the Bahamas, where I've done a lot of work, we started an initiative there probably over a decade now ago uh, called Shark Free Marinas. It was something I was very proud of. And we started this campaign where marinas would voluntarily put this sign on the dock that said, no sharks are allowed to be caught and landed here. So people were forced to let their sharks go, or at least to take them to a different marina. So it's a small little thing we were doing. But one of the great things about the Bahamas is they recognized the value of their sharks and they adopted this uh, pretty much globally throughout the country because they know that a shark, at least to their economy, is worth a lot more alive than dead. So whereas a shark might get $50 if it's killed and sold, that same shark has been quantifiably shown to be worth about $250,000 for the local tourism economy because people will come, and not only to see sharks, people will come to see a healthy ocean. They'll come to see a healthy reef. You know, people don't need to do shark tourism. It's never just about shark tourism. It's the health of the oceans. Do you want to go and see a dead ocean? Go to the Dead Sea. There's no sharks in that. Right? If you want to see a healthy ocean, go to one that has sharks in it and be careful. All right, that wraps up another episode of Shark Week, the podcast. Stay tuned to this feed for shark facts you don't want to miss and interviews with shark experts that will give us a behind-the-scenes scoop on what really happened out at sea. And it, it, a lot happens in a month out at sea. And yes, we're keeping the shark passion alive after Shark Week is over, covering the sharkiest current topics, talking to top scientists and experts to learn all about the latest conservation efforts in keeping this amazing animal from extinction. Thanks for listening to Shark Week, the podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars and subscribe for more shark fun facts. I'm Luke Tibble. I'll see you next time.